0: Well, we're looking at the book of Joshua um, in the next few weeks. And if you could turn to Joshua and chapter 2, uh, we're going to be looking at there. How would you react if a prostitute walked into our building one Sunday morning? Would you keep your distance? Go and welcome her or him? Would you feel awkward, embarrassed, not know what to say? Or maybe you just ignore them? I could ask the same question of someone who might be intoxicated or a rough sleeper. It's a challenge that we will face if we're truly going to reach those who are hungry for spiritual reality, those whom God is calling to Himself. Today's passage looks at the story of a prostitute, and I've called uh, this sermon The Shady Lady. So uh, let's have a read of some verses in Joshua and chapter 2. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, "'Go, view the land, especially Jericho.' And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. It was told to the king of Jericho, "'Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land.' Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them and said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed to dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, "'I know that the Lord has given you the land.' because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for your even unto death. And then she let them down the rope. They shimmied down the rope and escaped. And then the men said in verse 18 Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father, mother, your brothers, and all of your household. They escaped and went on their way and in verse 24 we read, truly the Lord has given all of the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. I think it's rather strange uh, that in the second week of a series on Joshua that we read a story about a prostitute, a shady lady and her family. After all, we're supposed to be looking at being strong and courageous and going into the promised land and what that means for us. So why is this story here? This story could easily have been missed out or put elsewhere in the book. If you read from the end of chapter 1 and pick it up in chapter 3, the narrative continues. It's the people crossing the River Jordan into the promised land. So this tells me that there is something here of importance. The story was not put here by accident there must be a specific reason for it to be included Joshua sent two spies secretly to view the land Joshua himself had been a spy 40 years previously and had come back with a good report Joshua wanted to gather military intelligence before the battle this first battle in the promised land Jericho was a high-walled fortress city built so that it was difficult to attack with a gate that was closed at night. If you know Pevensey Castle locally, it may have looked something like that with two walls. It had houses built into the walls on the outer wall and windows that looked out. Like other such cities in the land of Canaan, it had its own king. And archaeologists have excavated and discovered cities that look like this from this time period. Now, the secret spies, I have to say, weren't particularly good at their job because as soon as they arrived at the prostitute's house, the king was informed of their presence, their their cover was blown and he sent someone to investigate and arrest the spies. The house was like um, a local inn or a family bed and breakfast, a place where travellers would stay, a logical place where the spies would gather information, but their cover was blown really quickly. Rahab, though, was really quick-thinking. She hides the not-so-secret spies on the flat roof, under flax and deceived the king's men who were looking for them. Of course, the king would have expected Rahab's allegiance and cooperation. Rahab deceived. Deception is a common strategy in warfare. By doing this, Rahab was aligning herself with the Israelites and was acting against her own people. Rahab couldn't risk her home being searched, so she pretended that they had escaped. What she did was treason. And she was taking a huge risk in hiding these not-so-secret spies. If you don't know the end of the story, this is like a tense drama. You know, how will the spies escape? You know, what, would, um, what would happen to Rahab if she was discovered I want us to look at um, just a few things um, about Rahab because she was an amazing woman. The first thing I want us to look at is Rahab's revelation, her confession of faith. In the second part of verse 11, it says, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This is Rahab's amazing revelation and confession, which came out of her mouth, the lips of a Canaanite prostitute the Canaanites along with other ites, and we'll meet a lot of the other ites as we look in the book of Joshua were inhabiting the land Baal was the Canaanite God and he supposedly controlled the rains and the mist and the dew so the people thought him essential for their harvest the Canaanites horrifically practiced child sacrifice to please their God and were described by God as an abomination. So the battles for the cities and the land, although they're very bloodthirsty, were actually part of God's judgment on these unrighteous Canaanites. But let's get back to the revelation that Rahab had. How had she come to have this revelation that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and on the earth? Her faith came by hearing. If you look in verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Rahab, you see, had heard stories of Israel's God. She knew how oppressive the Egyptians had been to Israel, how God had rescued them from Egyptian slavery, how God had dried up the waters of the Red Sea, how Israel's God had delivered them and led them through the desert to the very edge of the promised land. We're not told so, but she may even have heard of God's miraculous provision with the water, the manna, the quail, the shoes not running out, drying, not wearing out, the desert wanderings, she had come to see Jehovah's real power, not like the weak Baal God her people sacrificed to. Israel's God was indeed Lord and God above all. Faith had come to Rahab because she heard the stories about Jehovah God. Romans 10 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And how are they to believe in him, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How did you come to faith? You would have heard a story at some point. As a child... I heard stories of Jesus. I heard the gospel preached. I saw the gospel lived out in my home. I read Bible stories. I experienced God through the lives of other Christians around me. Faith comes from hearing. Rahab heard God's stories and found faith. This shows us how important your story is. Some of us think our stories are are a bit weak, they're not. They're God stories. How important it is for you to tell faith stories. Get used to telling your story. Go into the world and preach. Go into the world and tell your story. Telling the gospel through your life, through your experience, it can produce faith in the hearts of those around you. As we proclaim Jesus, Faith will be ignited in the hearts of those who hear. Silence is not an option for us. Revelation 12, 11 says, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. This is why preaching, teaching, storytelling is so important. Faith comes from Hearing. Faith comes from hearing the words of Christ. No one comes to Christ without a revelation of who he is. The revelation that Rahab received from hearing about Israel's God gave her a strong and courageous faith. Our faith will be strong and courageous as we hear the words and works of Jesus. Our faith will be bold and courageous and outrageous as we hear gospel truth hearing the words of Christ. Second thing that I think Rahab um, tells us here is about a covenant that she made. We see this in verse 12. Rahab was bargaining. She was making an agreement with the spies. She says, I have dealt kindly with you, so you protect me. Will you save my family? This is a very reasonable agreement, I think, to make. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you in that situation? I've hidden and protected you, so now promise to protect me and my family. The not-so-secret spies assured her that it would be our lives for your lives and that they would treat her kindly, that they would save her family. So what does this teach us about our salvation? We don't bargain with God. We preach and teach that we are saved by grace. Amen? Our salvation has nothing to do with us. It's all God's work. Absolutely. I sign up to that. However, there is a paradox here. Let me read Philippians 2 to you. It says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Salvation, our eternal destiny, is totally and completely God's initiative. It's his grace, it's his son who died that we might be saved. And he wants all people to come to him. But we have our part in that we have to work it out. We have to live Godly lives, live responsibly, obey his commands, and live in his grace. There's a tension there, isn't there, for us to keep. Rahab shows us this tension really well. She was working out how she and her family could be saved, and yet it was not in her hands. Rahab could not, with all her skills, her human ability, her negotiating, save herself and her family. She has to ultimately trust the spies and live in anticipation of their faithfulness to the agreement. She was working her salvation out. Let me read uh, Timothy Keller's comments on this passage about working our our own salvation out. The paradox itself is wise. If it were all up to us, we would labor under crushing anxiety and burnout. If we try and save ourselves, we just burn ourselves out. We can't do it. But if God only worked apart from us, we would lose all sense of initiative. The paradox gives us enough incentive and enough assurance to pursue the knowledge of God all of our life long. So yes, we are saved totally by God's grace. We are totally assured of our salvation on the one hand. We cannot lose our salvation. But on the other hand, we are being saved and are working this out in obedience, love and relationship with our Father. The next thing we see is this agreement is confirmed in verses 18 to 20. And there's three conditions that Rahab has to fulfill to assure that her family will be rescued. First, it's the scarlet cord in the window. This would indicate the invading Israelites that this family was to be rescued and not destroyed. Secondly, her family had to be in the house. And thirdly, that they had to keep it secret. So every day, When Rahab walked into her front room, she would see the scarlet cord in her window and remember. It reminded her of God's goodness. Rahab, our shady lady, the prostitute, was saved by her incredible faith in Israel's God and her obedience. She recognized the activity of God in the lives of the Israelites and that brought her faith faith will always be worked out and expressed through God through obedience to God's word let me read james chapter 2 to you and verse 23 james 2:23 abraham believed god and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of god you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The Third big thing that we see um, from this story is Rahab's rescue. And she really is saved by faith. There's a striking resemblance in this part of the story to the Passover supper that the Israelites had to celebrate while in Egypt. To avoid the angel of death at the Passover, the whole family had to be in in attendance. They had to be under the same roof, just as Rahab's family had to be under the same roof. Blood from the lamb that was killed to celebrate the Passover was painted on the doorposts and lintels. This somewhat gruesome sign over the doorpost identified Jewish families that would be saved. Rahab and her obedience to the agreement, the covenant she made, keeping the red rope in her window, keeping her family with her, working out her salvation until it was fully there, being faithful to the end. That is so important that we are faithful to the end. We too walk by faith and not by sight, keeping before us the cross of Christ, that which has saved us from Egypt, delivered us from our wanderings around the desert and calls us forward into the heavenly promised land. Got a little digression here. You might, if you don't want to listen to this bit, you can have 30 seconds off. It's worth noticing a comparison with our shady lady and Achan, who appears in chapter 7. We haven't got to that story yet, but it's a fascinating story. Achan went into battle, but he did not obey God's command. And we see some good comparisons here. Rahab was a Canaanite. Achan was a Hebrew from the tribe of Judah, from the best tribe. Rahab was a prostitute. Achan was respectable. Rahab fears God. Achan doesn't fear God. He disobeys God. He steals and he's deceitful. Rahab only heard God and yet she believed. Achan had heard about God. He'd seen the mighty acts of God. And yet he disobeyed. Rahab becomes an Israelite and lives. Achan becomes a Canaanite, like a Canaanite, and he dies. It's fascinating comparisons between these two people. If you had your 30 seconds off, you can come back now. Okay. Next thing I see in the story is that victory was assured. Rahab knew enough about Israel's God and their history. She knew that the land would be taken by them and they would be conquered. That was a given and it was about to happen. In fact, all the people's hearts in Jericho was melting because there was so much fear in the city. Fear was palpable in the city. I don't know if you've been in a situation where fear has been palpable. I lived near Brixton during the Brixton riots, and on the streets, you could feel fear. I lived in Haiti for a short period, and in the city that I lived in, there was cholera. You could feel the fear on the streets. It was palpable. Fear is dangerous in an army. It's so contagious and can even cause a superior army to be defeated. This information would have been very important for Joshua to know. So fear is debilitating. We too can be defeated over fear. We are part of God's army, which is certainly superior. We are assured that if his God is for us, who can be against us? And yet we can easily succumb and be defeated by fear so so easily we need to guard our hearts from fear Christ church fear is not your friend fear is your deadly enemy it makes your heart melt it saps energy from your spirit it makes you weak and vulnerable but fear can be overcome get rid of all fear fear is not your friend it is your enemy it melts your heart fear belongs to the Canaanite camp, not to our camp. Amen? In Christ, we have the victory. That's what Romans 8 is all about. We we are truly overcomers in Christ and through Christ. Demon tormentors are terrified. They dread encountering Christians who know who they are, Christians who know their identity. Fear does not belong to our camp. If God is for us, who can be against us? Christ with us makes the difference. No spiritual weapon that's formed against us will stand. This is the winning covenant that we live in. We do not have to live in fear because perfect love casts out fear. That is not your perfect love, but the perfect love of our heavenly father. When we're full of love from our Heavenly Father, there's no room left for fear. It's great to be full of the good stuff, isn't it? And not the bad stuff. Fear is always about punishment. And Jesus took that punishment. And fear can forever be cast out. Hallelujah. Fear stops us being on a war footing. We do not have to fear the battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. And on his side, we are strong and courageous. We have no reason to fear, but can be bold and courageous. We really are on the winning side. Do you know that? We really are on the winning side. Paul Tack knows he's on the winning side. Does anyone else here know they're on the winning side? Amen. Wonderful. We know because Jesus wins. The last thing I want to just bring out from this passage is God's gospel intention is revealed. And uh, Joshua chapter 6 and verse 25 says this. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Rahab and her family were not only saved but were assimilated into the nation of Israel they became part of Israel in scripture we see families come to faith the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16 and his household were all saved we see God saving families today maybe not so much in the west with our individualistic world view but this can change and I believe that God wants to save families do you I, want he, I believe he wants to bring families home to himself. This year, let us pray for families, families in this town to be impacted, families to be brought home, to be brought into the church. Rahab's conversion is extremely important as it demonstrates, as does the story of Ruth, that the gospel is truly for all nations. The gospel is not Western The gospel is for all nations. God never intended to have a people only from the nation of Israelites. God always wanted a family as he promised Abraham, as numerous as the stars in the sky. People from every background, every class, every color, profession, those trapped in immorality, addictions, oppression, as well as ordinary people on the street. Jesus welcomed the prostitutes. Jesus welcomed fraudsters, the despised. Jesus welcomed all who were hungry. This is why we have the story of Rahab right here at the beginning of the book of Joshua. As it demonstrates to us that entering the land, it was partly about conquering the enemies of God, partly about judgment, but it's also a story of mercy and grace and those willing to accept Jehovah as Lord of the earth and turn from their godless lifestyles. Rahab was willing to repent and change. So here we see extraordinary faith in a family who ran a bed and breakfast business. It's worth noting that Rahab and Ruth both appear in the genealogies of Matthew. Rahab married into the royal family. That's some change, isn't it? She was in the family line of Jesus. This is gospel intention. This is gospel transformation. A Canaanite prostitute becomes a prince in a royal line, in a royal family. You see, there are no unlikely candidates for the kingdom. The gospel truly is for all in the land. Christ, through his work on the cross, has rescued us. He's pulled us from the miry pit. He's rescued us from destruction and joined us to his family. We too are of royal blood, bought by the precious blood of Jesus. The battle has been won for us against every giant in the land. We no longer need to fear. And we come, kings and priests, sons and daughters, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Rahab, our shady lady, was an unlikely and unexpected woman of faith. Jesus, too, found faith in the most unlikely of people. So let us constantly look out for those men and women who are unlikely people of faith, those that we've discounted. And let us be bold and courageous in sharing our story our powerful story with them so that faith may be ignited. Amen. Can I invite the worship team to, to come back? And we'll close with a, with a song. I don't <clears throat> want to make a huge appeal this morning, but I do just uh, feel that some of you here um, have got a heart for the shady lady and for the hard man, those who perhaps are, are not the usual um, suspect uh, for you to share your faith with. And I'd just like you to stand. If you've got a heart for those that are on the edge, those that are shady, those that are hard for the gospel, would you like to stand and we'll just, we'll just pray for you? That's lovely. That's lovely. Yeah. Lynn, I think you're a person that works amongst them. You stand. We'll pray for you as well. Anyone else? We just want to pray for those. Let's pray together. Lord, will you help me to be bold and courageous in telling my story? To see faith ignited in the hearts of shady characters? Will you help me to overcome all my fears? and to see outrageous faith blossom in my own heart and in the hearts of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Helsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.